quite a while since I heard Justin speak. Last time I heard him speak, I'm not sure if the message was on Zacchaeus, but I remember the joke he told. <laughs> but, but today I'm going to try and concentrate my, concentrate my thoughts on the message it brings. And the chapter, the scripture we're reading will be in Luke chapter 5, starting from verse 4. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out in the deep, and let down your nets for a draft. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night, and we have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came out, and they filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished and all that were with him at the draft of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. The word of the Lord. Well, it is a privilege to uh, invite Justin to come and speak to us. Uh, Justin, I would consider to be, amongst other things, uh, a friend of Sutherland Church. Uh, And like what sometimes happens with friendships, you lose track of each other for a period of time uh, because we haven't seen Justin for a long time. Uh, There was a period a number of years ago where he spoke at our uh, church camp down at Whidbey Island Uh, He spoke many times here uh, in the building, in our congregation here. Uh, So we haven't seen him for a while, and we're, like, really excited that you're back. It's good to have you. And Justin's going to be speaking twice more coming up in the schedule, uh, but we're happy to have you here today. So I'd like to invite Justin to come up and minister to us now. Well, good morning. Nice to see all your smiling faces on this beautiful day. Much too nice outside, isn't it, to be in here today? (laughs) So let's get this talk done with quickly so we can get out and enjoy the sunshine. (laughs) I'm horrified, George, that you would remember my jokes. I, I don't remember any jokes. I'm far too spiritual to tell jokes. But I was thinking, seeing as the hearing aid loop isn't working this morning, that's very sad because my hearing is going really badly. Either that or Joy, my wife, is just mumbling these days. I think it's that. But a friend of mine got a, a new hearing aid, and he came back and he was just bragging about it. It's wonderful, he says. It's just opened up whole new vistas. I can carry on a conversation just like a normal person now. I've got this new hearing aid. 
And his guy said, well, that's fantastic. He said, uh, so how much did it cost? Oh, he said, it's just coming up on 3.30. <laughs> did you get that, George? Did you get that? <laughs> anyway, uh, so you've got Todd's gone for a little while, eh? Four months. Wow, you could get an awful lot done in four months, couldn't you? <laughs> While the cat's away. Um, so you've got to invite a bunch of strangers to come in. Friends, old friends. Some you haven't seen for a long time that would make that heart grow fonder. So I thought maybe this would be a good verse. Ask the fish of the sea, and they will teach you. Have you got any fish invited? Ask the fish of the sea, and they will teach you that the hand of the Lord has done this. Is that a funny thing? So it's Job with his comforters gathering around him. Who should we invite? Let's invite a fish. So what lessons can we learn from fish? So that's what I was turning over in my mind because I knew I had to come uh, three or four times. And I messed the schedule up, and I'm really sorry about that. If you heard about that, my apologies. But this passage today that George read for it is a wonderful passage about fish, lessons that we can learn about fishing. So that's what I wanted to talk about. So, Father, we would like to pray that you would teach us because fish don't say much and my talks aren't that great, but you are a wonderful teacher and we pray that you would speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So you have to picture that scene. It's on the beach there in Capernaum. You know, I always imagined it as a sandy beach in Capernaum, where there they all were, sitting on the sand, building sandcastles, while they listened to Jesus speak. But on a recent visit there, I discovered it's all volcanic rock, and nobody in their right mind would have wanted to sit on that beach. So they must have all been higher up the beach, is what I'm thinking. Nevertheless, there they all were, and they listened to everything that Jesus had to say. But the truth is that the beach was far too uncomfortable for anybody to remember a word he said. Even the jokes they didn't remember because none of it is recorded. But what is recorded is what happened after the talk was over. So the significant part of this morning is not the talk because nobody will remember a word I say except George may remember the jokes. But it's what happens afterwards. Isn't that right? So... What kind of a difference is the next, is it 25 minutes that Todd always speaks for? 35, okay. Well, after the next hour, when I finish speaking, <laughs> it's what happens after that. Because that's the part that got into the Bible. That's the part that was remembered. That's the part that made a deep, deep impression on the writers of the Gospels because they wrote it all down. Verse 5 says, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But next verse, you read, they caught a large number of fish. <laughs> so let me ask you this. How is the fishing? 
My son is a fisherman. He has a fishing charter business on the Fraser River. Goes out of Island 22 at Chilliwack. And he takes people out to catch salmon when the salmon are running. When they're not running, you don't catch any salmon. But you can always catch sturgeon almost any time of year. So he drags these great monsters up from the deep. And if he hasn't caught an eight or a nine foot sturgeon, he's not happy with the catch. So how's the fishing? That's the first question anybody asks when you come down and you see a bunch of fishermen sitting on the bank or sitting in their boat. How's the fishing? How's it got caught anything? How's it going? So, how is the fishing? Well, we've worked really hard, I know, because you've been working hard ever since I first came here, which must be 30-some years ago. How's the fishing? Would you say, oh, we haven't caught an awful lot recently, or we've caught a large number of fish. Now, there's seasons, aren't there? I know that because of what my son Dan tells me. There's seasons when the fish are running. And then you can go out and you can't cast a hook into the river but that you pull up a fish. And there's other times when you go, you just don't catch anything at all. So Paul says to Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season. And sometimes you'll hook some and sometimes you won't hook anything at all. And you look around. I, I think you're about the same size as you would have been when I was here last 20 years ago. Is that right? Yeah, a lot of old faces that are even older now than they were before, but not a lot of new people. Some of you are new, that's wonderful. But a lot of you are old and you've been here for a very long, long time, which is wonderful. That's called faithfulness. Isn't that great? But do you remember the last season when the fish were running and you caught people? Wasn't it exciting? Uh, and isn't it depressing every now and then when you stop and think, you know, we've been working hard on this project at Sutherland for a long, long time, and we haven't caught an awful lot in the last little while. And that can be depressing. Yes, it has something to do with the seasons. I think of a, a church like the village. Have you heard of the village down in Surrey? Big monster church, great big church, grown from not to thousands in a short time. Well, lucky them. Must be very exciting to be there. And that's the buzz. That church is the flavor of the month. That's where everybody's going because that's where things are happening. And everybody's exciting because the fish are biting. Now, you can look around Greater Vancouver and you'll see all kinds of huge buildings. A lot of them are completely empty or almost completely empty. But they are memorials to the days in past decades when the fish were running and they caught many fish. Now, they don't seem to catch many fish. Past seasons. So how's the fishing at Sutherland? Well, let's talk about it a little bit. Do you enjoy fishing? 
Master, verse 5, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. <sighs> but because you say so, we'll give it another go. I suppose we must because it says something about evangelism in the Bible. And I, I suppose we, I mean, we've only just finished the night shift, for goodness sake. We worked hard all night. Blooming hard work out there, you know, fishing, particularly in the dark. And, it's, it's, it, and we're back now. And you know, we've just finished cleaning our nets. Uh, and they're all nice and clean, and I suppose ready for the next night, and we'll have to go out and give it another whirl. But frankly, I don't expect it to be too different tomorrow night from the way in which it was last night. And anyway, it's bedtime now, and you want us to go fishing again? Frankly, I want to go home and have a bite of breakfast, and then I'm going to go and get some shut-eye. It's just the wrong time of year. Have you ever felt like that? I mean, we've tried this evangelism thing all before, haven't we? And it, it, it didn't work well last time. Are you suggesting that we have another seminar on evangelism? God preserve us from another seminar on evangelism. Now we hear Franklin Graham's coming to town. Oh, no. Remember his dad coming. Good gracious me. What kind of a difference did that make? And anyway, could we really stand it if a whole bunch of strangers came into the church and brought all their troubles with them, all their foreign languages, all their bad habits, all their doubts and all their questions and all their wrong ideas about God? Do you know, it would mess up the smooth flow and it would mess up the carpets and the comfortable seats and the, the good opportunity we have for the deep teaching and so on and so forth. Do, do you know that feeling? Now, I, I have to admit to you, I hate fishing. My son tries to take me fishing sometimes. I, and I always pray that we won't catch anything. I mean, particularly sturgeons. Have you ever hooked a sturgeon? I mean, those things, they can be 10 foot long. And you know full well you've got line as thick as my little finger to reel the wretched thing on. And there you are struggling with this and struggling and fighting. It can take you three or four hours to fight this wretched beast. And it's such hard work to land it. And when you've landed it, you haul it up on the beach, you take a photograph, and then you let the thing go again. I mean, it's such a waste of time. <laughs> It spoils a good boat ride. I love the boat ride. I love the getting there. I love to be out on the river. I think that's absolutely great fun. But the catching fish, no, no, no. Do you ever feel like that? Well, I do. Because... Evangelism is really hard work, isn't it? It's awkward. I mean, I find it really, really awkward to try and find strangers and go up there and convince them of stuff that they don't want to believe, that I have no idea how to convince them against their will to believe something that they don't believe. I mean, who in their right mind would enjoy that? Gee. So, some fishing lessons from this passage. Okay, fishing lessons. I put down three or four of them. We may not have time for them all, but 
Lesson number one. You have to have your net in the water. Right? I mean, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? I mean, of course you've got to have your net in the water. Of course you're not going to catch any fish if you haven't got your net in the water. So lesson number one that Jesus said to Peter was, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And when they'd done so, they caught a large number of fish. Duh. Well, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? If you don't let down your nets, you don't catch any fish. So what does a net look like? Well, I'm no great expert on these things, but I think they have strands of string or rope or stuff. Isn't that right? It's like I say, I I don't know much about fishing. But my observation of fishing nets is that they have strands and they become a net not just because you have vertical strands, but because you have horizontal strands as well, and they're all woven together, and that's what causes the net. Vertical strands and horizontal strands. Vertical strands. James chapter 4 says, verse 2 says, you don't have because you don't ask. If you don't ask, you won't get nothing. Isn't that right? You don't have because you don't ask. So, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, which is another passage about fish, you'll notice that Jesus said, so ask, for goodness sake, ask. And then it'll be given to you. Right? For everyone who asks, receives. If you don't ask, you won't receive. If you haven't got the vertical stripes in your net... Don't expect to catch any fish if you just have horizontal stripes out there because it'll all fly apart in little tangles of string, right? Ask, and it'll be given to you. For everyone who asks, receives. So which of you, if his son asks him for a fish? Here's the fish I was referring to. Would you give him a snake? Of course you wouldn't. If you then though you're evil, and you do look an evil bunch. If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? See, if you ask, you get. But you generally get more than you ask for. If you don't ask, you get exactly what you ask for, which is nothing at all, because you're not asking. Because the Bible says that he, Jesus, is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. All that kid in the parable that Jesus told, asked for, was a fish. But what did he got? He got a steak dinner, didn't he? All he wanted, he just wanted a fish. And he got a steak dinner, he got good gifts so tell me this just think about this it's a lot obvious thing to ask for but if you're going to put your net in the water what do the vertical strings represent the asks who or what are you asking for well let me ask you this 
for a moment there. Think back to the time before you became a follower of Jesus. If you can remember that long. Some of you it's a long time, some of you it's recent. But who of you is reasonably sure that there was no one in the world asking for you to become a believer? You're reasonably sure that nobody ever asked for you to be saved or to become a believer. Put your hand in the air if that's you, would you? Oh, well that's surprising, isn't it? Well, who of you are reasonably sure that at least one person prayed for you? Well, isn't that surprising? If you don't ask, you won't get nothing. If you do ask, you will. So the question again then, who or what are you asking for? See, Joe and I have joined a little church in Chilliwack called Main Street Church. It started off in a school a few years ago, and a handful of people met there, and we joined it, I think, six years ago or so. And we've been going ever since. They've since bought the old Liquidation World building in the middle of downtown Chilliwack, and have converted the whole thing into a church which is absolutely fabulous. Now there's a thousand people meeting there this morning, which is wonderful. But the pastor, wretched bully that he is, said, we're going to start off this year with three weeks of praying and fasting. And here's what we're going to ask for agreeing as a church. And you can express your fast in whatever way you want to, but this is what we're going to pray for and fast for. We want a hundred new people to join our church this year. We want them to be baptized. We want them to join a home group. And we want them to be regular members at the prayer meeting praying for others by the end of the year. Are you in? So we all prayed for that. Well, last week, 17 people were baptized. That's pretty exciting. That's wonderful. But you see, if you don't ask... You don't get anything. If you do ask, you may very well get more than you asked for. Are you asking expectantly? Because I see some empty chairs in here. It would be really nice to fill them up, wouldn't it? And it would be nice to have those ones up in the shelf at the back there filled up. Oh, there's two people up there already. It's getting crowded up there on the shelf. That's the horizontal stripes in the net. What about the vertical? No, that was the vertical stripes, wasn't it? The horizontal stripes, the ones that go this other way. What did Peter make of this? Well, he discovers something quite amazing about his net. In Acts chapter 2, at the end of his very first sermon... Peter said to the crowds that were gathered there on that first day of Pentecost, well, they said, what should we do? He said, well, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the promise is for you, and it's for your children, for all who are far away, and everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. But of course, Peter had worked all night and caught nothing, He didn't really expect that anything would happen. He didn't expect anybody much would respond because, I mean, 
done it all before, been there, done that, tried that before, and it just didn't work. He'd spent lots of times spouting sermons and so on and so forth. And suddenly, to his amazement, he caught a large number of fish. Now, first of all, who are you asking God for and what? Secondly, who are you asking to come and join us, to come to Jesus? And in what context? My grandma, she was a great old evangelist. She's been dead for a while now, obviously. But she, she always used to say, Justin, never forget that little bit. Whenever you're preaching, remember that little bit. And that little bit was the kind of thing that Peter said. It was the basic invitation to come to Jesus, who died and rose again and offers to forgive us and put his Holy Spirit in our hearts. That little bit, she said, was really important. Do you still have the Sunday evening gospel hour at Sutherland? You used to do that, didn't you? I know, because I was brought up in the Brethren too, and I know every Brethren church I've always been, at 6.30 on Sunday evening was the gospel hour, and we all used to go out fishing. Did you call it fishing here? We would go out onto the streets, and we would invite passers-by and invite people to come in. Joy always talks about the time when her dad was fished to come into the meeting, and the guy who brought him in was so surprised when he was the, turned out to be the preacher and stood up to give the message at the end. But the point is, there was a regular slot in the life of the church when everybody in the congregation knew that that little bit was going to be clearly expressed. So if they had any friends or contacts, that that week they'd had significant conversations with they could invite them on Sunday night at 6.30 to come to the gospel meeting. Now, I'm not suggesting that you revive that. But what is the equivalent? What do you have in the regular life of Sutherland that is an expression of that little bit when the invitation is given, the gospel is expressed, and people are invited to come to Jesus? See, if the net isn't vertical, and horizontal, and it isn't in the water, well, you ain't going to catch much, are you? So, I don't know whether you do that. You probably do. I have no idea what happens in the life of Sutherland, but you're all good people. You must have figured this out long before I came along and said this. There's point number one, then. You've got to have your net in the water. Point number two, you've got to fish in the right place. So, Jesus said to Peter, well, put out into the deep water. Stop fiddling around the shallows. And let down your nets for a catch. Go deeper. All the fish that you're talking about, they're not spinning, spinning, swimming around in the shallows and the surface. No, you've got to get more line out there. Let down the nets. Go deeper. Try harder. In another place, in John chapter 21, where they had a very similar expression, Jesus said, look, you guys, you're just fishing in the wrong place. Throw your net over onto the right side of the boat. You've been trying on the left for far too long. Try the right side for the boat. You have to fish where the fish are. Isn't that right? So do you need a fish finder? 
Jesus knew where the fish were. They were either deeper or they were on the right side. But he knew where they were, exactly how deep and on what side of the boat they were. What is Jesus saying to you as an individual and to you as a congregation about where the fish are? Where are the fish in North Vancouver that he wants you to bring in? What's he told you? Well, that's a question worth asking, isn't it? But probably you've asked him, and you've probably got good ideas on that subject, so you're probably already working on that. So, third point is, what time was I meant to stop? Have I passed it already? Okay. Ten more minutes. Oh, yeah, that's absolutely fine. I was going to talk a little while about catch using the right lure. You know, you can go out there and you can throw the same lure into the water again and again and again. No fish is going to bite it because it's the wrong color or the wrong shape or it tastes wrong. Um, you heard the expression, a sprat to catch a mackerel, have you? You've never heard that expression. Ah, well, some people have. Okay, what, what, what is it? You throw out a little fish on the end of your hook in the hope that a bigger fish will come along and bite that little fish and you've caught the bigger fish. So you've lost the sprat for sure because you don't want it after another fish has been chewing on it, but you've got the bigger fish. Isn't that a good idea? Well, it's not the greatest idea if all you've got for lunch is a sprat. And somebody says, why don't you stick a hook in that little, sp in your lunch and fling it over the side of the boat? Don't be dumb, it's all I've got for lunch, for crying out loud. And that's what happened to one little kid when there were a bunch of hungry people out into the desert. And Jesus said, uh, well, what have you got to feed all these people? And they said, well, we've got a couple of little fish, actually, and, uh, and um, some buns. Okay, Jesus says, then give, give. And they gave them, and Jesus gave thanks, and then he shared it with the whole multitude. Don't you think that all you had for lunch were those two little sprats? That was quite a sacrifice for that kid to make. But you see, a lure, by very nature, has to be attractive, doesn't it? Don't you think that giving is an attractive thing. Giving, giving, giving attracts people. Generosity is an attractive thing. Stinginess and taking and asking and begging is singularly unattractive. Isn't that right? So, the place where that happened, next time you read about it in the Bible, was the place where it was recorded, the place where Jesus had eaten the bread, where the people had eaten the bread, after the Lord had given thanks. See, it became an expression of gratitude and generosity. That's what it was known for. And therefore it was attractive. What's the church known for in general? If this joke's ever made about us, 
It's because we're always on the take, aren't we? We've always got a handout. We're always begging. We're always fundraising. We're always wanting to get more money. Giving and thanking. That is an attractive lure, isn't it? Very, we could talk more about that, but you know, time's gone because I don't want to talk any longer than Todd. Point number four is you've got to be ready to land the catch. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their net began to break and their boat began to sink. <laughs> oh, wow. What kind of a catch are you expecting? I mean, wouldn't it be exciting if we went away from here absolutely convinced that in the days and weeks to come, there weren't going to be so many new people coming in to Sutherland that there wasn't room enough to put them, that our nets were beginning to break and the boat was beginning to sink. How effective is your net, incidentally? We were talking about nets a minute ago. I, I meant to put this point in there, but I forgot it. You see, with Dan, and he catches a sturgeon, it's always catch and release, and I think that's such a waste of time, for goodness sake. Such a waste of time to catch the foolish thing, go through all that aggravation, and you only let it go. Uh, when people come to Sutherland, do they stay? Or do they come for a visit? And they say, oh, that was nice, but they never darken the door again of the church. It's catch and release. See those advertisements on the television for a dating service. You see, I saw that advertisement last night. How, what's a good date? The guy says, well, when it leads to a second date. Yes. <laughs> what's a good catch? Oh, when the fish actually stays in the net. Isn't that right? What is a good way then of, of expressing the welcome of the Lord Jesus in such a way that people say, yeah, that's a great place. That's a great group of people. That's exactly where I want to be. And, and they caught so many fish. Verse 7 says that they had to signal for their partners in the other boat to come and help them. If you've got good partners who are ready to come and help you and you get, make a big cash, catch, they filled both boats so that both boats began to sink. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the ministerial association here in North Vancouver or are we West Vancouver here? What? Who? Oh, we're North Vancouver. Good, good, good. Wouldn't want to think we were in West Vancouver. <laughs> Wouldn't it be wonderful if the ministerial here on the North Shore was so overwhelmed with new people coming to Jesus, that all the churches began to sink and uh, the nets all began to break. What a wonderful, wonderful problem to have. You built a wonderful new building here. I, I remember the old one. I was wondering where the windows had gone when I came in here. And of course, they're not there anymore now because we've got a wonderful new building. You've got a wonderful new boat with lots of spare room. What a wonderful opportunity, isn't it? To think of new people coming in. There not being enough room. The building not being adequate. The parking lot, well, that's not adequate, is it? Anyway, you've got people parking out in the streets. 
But then you have got the school parking lot next door. Do you use the school parking lot next door? Oh, that's a shame. I'm sure you could persuade them. But what a wonderful problem that that would have. Now, what is the secret from the passage we looked at for all that to happen? Well, it's quite simply, you have to put your nets in the water. Isn't that right? And you have to want to put your nets in the water, not just to say, well, actually, we've been working all night and we didn't catch anything, but I suppose, I suppose if you say so, we better do it. But to enthusiastically go about the whole thing expecting a great catch, wouldn't that be wonderful? I can think back into my life of times when there were great harvests. And I can think of dry times when there have been few fish caught in my experience. I would love to see a great harvest again. Because as Jesus said to Peter, don't be afraid. In future, you're going to catch men and women and lots of them. The trouble with going fishing is that the fish aren't the only things that get hooked. You get hooked as well. And the whole thing becomes an addictive, wonderful process. So that fishing is the most favorite popular sport in all North America. Do you know that? It's even more than hockey. And fishing for men is the most exciting thing so that the people who do it get hooked. We'd like to pray, our Father, then, that you would help us to get hooked on fishing. We want to pray, Lord, that you would dazzle us with the prospect of what will happen when once again we let down our nets. And Lord, we're disappointed sometimes because we've tried it and we've tried various methods and it, this one didn't work and that one didn't work. But Lord, we don't want to give up because you gave your life for this. And we want, Lord, there to be new and a fresh sense of anticipation and excitement so that with joy and excitement, we will go out fishing again this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Justin. As we prepare for communion, I'll just read a couple of verses. From 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. We celebrate communion together this morning to remember the death of Christ and the difference that it's made in our lives. We also do it for the sake and the demonstration of our unity together. And I'll read just a couple of other verses from 1 Corinthians 10. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks 
a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful for this opportunity to break bread together. Uh, This sign of the sacrifice of Christ and the means by which you brought us into relationship with you. And we thank you, Father, that it is a sign of our unity as a body, that we do this together and we break one loaf. Lord, we pray that you would bring to our minds a fresh view of Jesus and what he has done for us. And may we respond to that in love this morning. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we say at Sutherland, the communion table is open to those who know Christ or those who are seeking him. So we invite you to join us this morning in communion. Ushers.
There is nothing, there is no one 